if the sermon's a dud, you've already got your money's worth. Amen? Some of y'all not getting anything on your money's worth at all. Well, glory. Turn to John chapter 21. It is grateful, so grateful to see you here this morning. A couple of announcements. Number one, uh, I forgot to tell you a while ago, Jason called, and uh, of course he's at home quarantined, but we're having fits with the internet. So if you have a phone that's on, uh, if you know how to turn the internet off, that would be wonderful. If you don't, just turn your whole phone off. And uh, that way the people on live stream will be able to kind of keep up with my mouth and not hear the words three or four seconds later. Uh, he also sent me a note and said, Dad, it'd be a good time to take up an offering for this encoder that we're looking at. We've got a new system we can go to, but it's $1,300. Uh, so if somebody's got that you want to drop in the box on the way out, we can have that thing set up by next week. Uh, it's what big churches use, and we don't think we're a big church. But when you put 500 people in here and everybody's on the Internet, it turns into a big church. So uh, you pray for that. We'll, we'll, we'll work that out. We're getting there. We're getting there. The other thing I forgot to mention, Chet Wilson. Man, have mercy. He fell or, or uh, hurt his, uh, well, they don't know, knee, hip, all of, all of the above. And uh, so he's got an appointment with an orthopedic surgeon Tuesday. Remember to pray for him. Pray for his sweet wife. I got a feeling Chet is not a good patient at all. And so uh, pray for his sweet wife uh, there in the midst of all that. John chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. Would you stand please in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word. The Bible says, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel of Canaan, Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. And Simon Peter said unto them, I go a fishing. And they said unto him, well, we'll go with you. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said unto him, Children, have you any meat? And they answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were 200 cubits, dragging the net with fishes. Father, thank you this morning how we've been blessed. I pray, Lord, we'll leave this place saying it's been good to be in the house of the Lord. I lift up this time to you, Lord. Would you speak to us? God, use my uh, trembling voice. Uh, Lord, use me as your vessel today to speak what you want everyone to hear. Lord, don't, don't let us get in your way. God, you're up to something good. I pray we'd stay out of the way and trust you and believe that you're working all things together for the good of those who love you and call according to your purpose. We love you and praise you in the name above every name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. There was a certain man who had been very faithful worshiping with other believers for many years, and he came time, we kind of got lax about it, and 
He stopped coming to the services. The pastor was burdened about him, his spiritual welfare. And so one day he went to his home, knocked on the door. The man invited him in. He offered him a chair by the fire. The, the pastor mentioned to the man how kind of, he was just kind of disappointed that suddenly the guy just quit coming to church. He's just not there. He's not faithful. And the man told him, he said, well, uh, you know, uh, uh, I, I know I'm saved and, and I kind of feel like there's really no need to go to church. And he felt like he could worship Jesus just fine at home and not be at church. The pastor, several moments passed and he watched the burning embers there in the fire. And he simply went over and took one of the tongs and took one of the embers and took it away from the fire and just sat there. The guy was expecting to hear the pastor kind of get on him. The pastor never said a word. When the ember had gone out, the man looked at the pastor and said, I've been rebuked. I'll be there Sunday. You see, folks, sometimes the fire is not just for those in the fire. It also is for every one of us. When we get outside the fire, we lose the fire. And uh, it's a fact of life I've come familiar with over the last 49-plus years there have been many occasions when I've failed the Lord. There have been many times when I want to tell you, uh, I've seen the flame of devotion and love grow dim. There have been times when I got up in the morning and said, Lord, I don't want to go. I'm, I'm fed up. I, I see this over and over again, and I don't want to come. I don't want to, I don't want to do it anymore. I want to speak to you today who may not be as close to the Lord as you ought to be. It may be that you're not excited about coming to the Lord's house anymore. It may be that you used to just thrill at being able to tell somebody about Jesus, but you hadn't told nobody about Jesus in two years. It may be this morning that you used to get up early in the morning and read the Word of God and go to bed late at night and read the Word of God, but it's just kind of grown cold to you. You're just not excited about it anymore. My duty today is to tell you that it doesn't have to stay that way. <laughs> Jesus is a friend of the fallen today. Uh, I want you to picture with me this scene in John 21. A brother goes to his other brother and he grabs him by the arm and says, listen, you gotta come with me. You gotta see somebody. I met somebody, it's something different about him. You gotta come see. So off they go together to meet this man. And the man he goes with his brother to see says this. He said, follow me and I'll make you to be fishers of men. This man drops his nets. He forsakes everything he's got and he follows that man. While he's following that man, they pass a leper. And that man touches that leper and he's cleansed. And while he's following that man, that man passes a blind man and he takes some dirt and spits upon it there and rubs it in his eyes and suddenly that man can see. While he's following that man, they come upon 5,000 men who are hungry and he takes a little boy's lunch with five loaves and two fishes. We don't even know who the little boy's name is. He takes that lunch and he feeds 5,000 men plus women and children. While he's following that man, he gets out of a boat 
and he walks on water. While he's following that man, there's a woman as they're going to a ruler's house and she's got an issue of blood, 12 years, and she's spent every dime she's got. But that woman reaches over and touches that man's garment and suddenly she's made whole. While he's following that man, he sees a man full of demons running naked in the cemetery, sleeping in the cemetery, cutting himself, drain on society. And while he is with that man, he sees him cast out demons out of this man and restore him to his family. While he's with that man, they go to a ruler's house. And in that house, in a bedroom, is a little 12-year-old girl lying stretched out on a bed. She's dead. But while he's following that man, he watches as that man reaches over and raises her up to life. While he's following that man, they'll travel to a town named Bethany where Mary and Martha are there. And they're frustrated and they're discouraged. And the truth be known, if you read between the lines, they're kind of hacked off at Jesus. Because if Jesus would have been there, their brother Lazarus wouldn't have died. But while he's following that man, he listens to him say, roll the stone away, and he speaks, Lazarus, come forth, and literally a man who's been dead four days comes out of that tomb. While he's following that man, he'll see miracle after miracle. One day, they climb up on a mountain and the glory of God falls all around them. And the, the, the Lord speaks, God speaks and said, this is my beloved son, hear him. And this man says to that man, woo, it's good up in here. Let's build three tabernacles and just camp here. While he's following that man, He'll be so amazed at the miracles. He hears him say, my body will be broken for you. My blood will be shed for you. He hears him say, one of you is a devil. This man says to that man, not me. I'll follow you to death. You don't have to worry about me. I'm going to be right there with you. And that man tells this man, you don't know what you're talking about. You're going to deny me three times. And then after that garden experience, soldiers guided by one of his peers, Judas, comes in and takes that man off. This man pulls a sword because he don't want him to take that man off. And he aims for his neck, I believe, but he misses and hits his ear. And that man picks the ear up and places it back on his head. <laughs> this man will watch that man get slapped, mocked, bruised, beaten. This man will hear them say to that man, crucify him, crucify him. This man will watch that man on a cross hanging and bleeding and agony and despair. They'll take him off of that cross and put him in a barred tomb and three days later the stone will be rolled away and this man will run into that empty tomb only to find out that that man's not in there. This man will appear to his friends, making it very clear that nobody stole his body. He arose the third day. And that man will watch as this man and other disciples get together 
And that man says, Thomas, come over here. Put your, put your hand in the nail prints on my side. And proving to Thomas that he is who he said he was. That man will watch him after all of these experiences and all of this miracle. He wants to quit. I go a fishing. I go a fishing. How could you go through all of that and want to quit? This man has seen more than all of us in this room put together. He's been three and a half years with Jesus. He's seen everything. You know what I learned this morning from Peter? The best of us can come to a place where we're ready to quit. I go a fishing. What's the point? What's the point of beating your brains out trying to reach people for Jesus? What's the point of gassing up buses and cleaning them up? What's the point of having activities and what's the point of preaching week after week and three services and trying to do mission work? What's the point? I mean, I'm ready to give it up, give it in, throw it in. You ever felt that way? Let me give you a couple of things here, three things. There are actually two things you need to do if you're feeling about ready to quit. There are two things. We'll get to them later on. The first thing I want you to note, though, and I've already been chastised because of my use of words, but I just, I'll stick with what I said. We got a pathetic servant here. You say, preacher, you can't call Peter a pathetic a pathetic servant. I'm calling him a pathetic servant. Out of all he's been through, I'm going fishing. I'm through with it. Now, how did he get here? Long before this, he had already denied Jesus three times. His mind is playing a, a little trick on him there, making him think that he's of no use to God anymore. And that's how the devil will do. When you fall, he'll come and say, well, you blew it, big boy. You'll never be able to be used again. And so Peter's going through all of this. He said, I've let God down. I've denied him three times. I went off cursing. I messed up. I failed. Let me share with you. One of the first signs that you're about to quit is drowning underneath the billows of guilt. Get rid of the guilt. You say, I messed up. I failed. I've lusted. I fell into sin. I made a mistake. I'm going fishing. Oh, I thought you used to fish. I thought you already done that and left that. You see, you stay guilty long enough and you keep wallowing in the mud long enough, you keep having that self-pity party. And I'll tell you, if you're not careful, you'll go back to that old life. You'll say, this is not worth it. I'm gonna take a stab at what I used to do, the old man I used to be. People sometimes tend to grasp for what they don't have. When they get it, they suddenly realize they've lost something else. Jacob felt he needed the blessing of his father, and he got it, but it lost the fellowship of his mother because of his deceit. Lot needed the land of Sodom, and he got it, but he lost his family in the midst of all of it. Achan got forbidden treasure. He was able to hoard it and touch it with his hands, but he ended up losing his life and his whole family's life because of it. Samson, he got the woman he wanted. She ended up costing him his life. 
David took Bathsheba from her husband and arranged his death, but he lost the peace and the blessing of the Lord. The prodigal son got his inheritance his way, spent it on his lifestyle, lost it all. See, the common thing happening today is people get discouraged and frustrated and weary and whipped. Maybe somebody here even got your bags packed, ready to go back to that old life, even this morning. Seeing all that God's done for you, why would you want to go back? It's really inexcusable. There's some repercussions here. Thomas is there with him. Nathaniel's there with him. James and John are there with him. Two other disciples are there with him. Uh, wait a minute, Peter. You, you're going back? Yeah, it's my life. I can do what I want to. It ain't nobody's business what I do with my life. Well, now, wait a minute, Peter. There's six people following you here. See, when you get ready to go back to that old life, you're going to drag other folk with you. There's nothing a Christian in misery would rather do than drag another Christian out to be miserable with him. <laughs> the decisions you make, they're never single. Oh, you quit? So do we. You want to quit? I'll quit too. Before Jesus, he was a professional fisherman. Now he's become a spiritual fisher of men. Now he's ready to go back being a professional fisherman again. But the problem is he's no good at it. They fished all night and caught nothing. You see, folks, having tasted Jesus and going back to the old life, after you've been introduced to the new life, you ain't going to be no good at it. I used to party hard. I used to lie. I used to cheat, and it never bothered me. I used to do this. I used to do that. Now, all of a sudden, preacher, it, it bothers me. It, it just keeps me up at night. It bothers me. Why does it bother me? Because you got saved. That's why it bothers you. It's the Holy Spirit inside of you bringing conviction. You've been redeemed you, you don't have any business at that club. You don't have any business watching those shows. You don't have any business saying those words. That's the old crowd. You've been redeemed, set free, washed in the blood. The backsliding Christian is always ineffective. We, we are blessed this morning to have uh, the Walsh's family and... Uh, all with us this morning with Sloan's baptism. As I was thinking of this last night, Brother Jim preached a message, Jim Waltz. Uh, it was in 1973. And I've never forgotten it. I don't know if he ever preached it again. Uh, Jim was like lightning bolt. He preached, you know, you just got out of the way and turned him loose. But he preached a message that I, I've, I've used a million times in my life. It's found in 1 Samuel 29. And in 1 Samuel 29, David from Israel is lined up with the Philistines. They're about to go to war and, uh, between the Philistines and the Israelites. And David is hacked off over in Israel. They've thrown him out. And so he comes over and joins the Philistines. And Brother Jim asked those three questions. I'll never forget them. Number one, it was the enemy. Enemy saying, what are you doing over here in our camp? This is David. 
They used to sing about him. They said Saul slew his thousands, but David is ten thousands. We don't want him over here with us. Why, in the middle of the battle, he'll end up getting convicted and he'll turn back to God and the Israelite and we'll all be toast. Get rid of him. So the enemy's saying, what are you doing over here? But then the Israelites look out across the valley. There's old David. <laughs> David, what are you doing over there on their, time, on their side? Why, you're, you're the next appointed king of Israel. Well, David, we've stood up for you. We, we've fought for you. What are you doing on the enemy's side? And then that third question, Brother Jim asked. God said, looking down from heaven, David, what are you doing on that side? Well, I helped you kill the bear and the lion. I helped you slay Goliath. I've been with you. I've walked with you. I've encouraged you. And now you're on the enemy's side? I think of that when I look at Peter. I go a fishing. I want to quit. What in the world are we doing on that side to start with? What are we doing? It's a pathetic servant. But now listen, I've got to hasten on. i got lunch waiting on me. Not only is there a pathetic servant... Bless God, there's a long-suffering Savior. Mm. <laughs> Old Peter has left Jesus. So what does Jesus do? He goes after Peter. <laughs> Listen, after all these things, he, he just heard Jesus say who he said he was. And there's no doubt in Peter's mind that Jesus rose from the dead, but he was starting to think, man, if if, if they crucified him and they know I'm hooked up with him, they're coming after me. I'm not sure I'm up to that. And just about that time, Jesus showed up. I'm thankful this morning that Jesus shows up in the worship service. Amen? I'm thankful this morning that Jesus shows up in our prayer closets when we're alone with him. I'm thankful when Jesus shows up at revival services. But I want to tell you, Hallelujah. I'm thankful when Jesus shows up when I'm down in the valley ready to quit. Ready to throw in the towel. I've had enough. Suddenly Jesus shows up. <laughs> oh, oh, Lord have mercy. Maybe today you've already boarded the ship. You're getting involved in some stuff. Don't, don't take this wrong because nobody wants to praise the Lord more than me. But the truth is, sometimes we run our mouth about how good God is and what all God's delivered me from. And then suddenly we find ourselves wanting to quit, turn, and go the other way. And there are other people looking at us. Where's your God now? What are you doing now? Now, in verse 5, <laughs> he, he said unto them, Children, have you any meat? They answered him, No. Now, <clears throat> it, I can't speak for you. Let me just speak for me. But if I was on that shore, and I had let them boys walk on water, I had let them boys do miracles. 
I had let them boys watch the experiences of people coming back from the dead. I have given those, those boys the best years of my life. And yet now they got the nerve and audacity to quit and go back fishing. I'd have stood there on that shore all right. I'd have said, you bunch of backslidden Baptist. You heathen, you nimrods, you knuckleheads. I, I just know what I'd have done. But you know what Jesus said? Children. <laughs> Listen, when we deserve a two before upside our head, Jesus gives us a hug. Praise the Lord. I wish somebody helped me preach. I, when, you, when you're saying, I, I can't catch nothing. My marriage is not working. My raising kids has gone south. I got trouble handling my finances. Living life is the pits. And what you think you need is a new job, a new spouse, a new set of kids. You need to hit the jackpot. But the truth is, you can go to the same job, the same spouse, the same kids. If you let Jesus get offshore and get in with you, you'll have different results. Sometimes God provides for our needs and we don't even know it because we're focused on what we don't have. 1990, Danny Simpson. He didn't know much about guns, but he needed some money. So he took a pistol and robbed a bank in Quebec City. Uh, it was Ottawa City. Anyway, Canada. He got $6,000 out of that bank. They caught him. He got six years in jail and lost his $6,000. But he used a 45 caliber Colt semi-automatic, which turns out to be an antique by the Ross Rifle Company that was worth $100,000. He's got a pistol worth $100,000 in his hand getting $6,000 from the bank. You think God don't have a sense of humor? <laughs> Sometimes God's providing what we need. We just don't even know what he's doing and what he's using. So we got a pathetic servant. We got a long-suffering Savior. And then we've got godly success. He said, cast your net on the other side, boys. Cast it on the right-hand side. Now, I told you I was going to give you the formula for what you do when you feel like quitting. There's only two things you do. When you feel like quitting, look for Jesus. Look for him. He, he's not hiding from you. You look for Jesus. Whatever it takes to get you back to Jesus, I want to tell you what, he's probably right where you left him. Look for Jesus. Number two, when you find him, do what he tells you to do. You say, preacher, I've been on that road. He asked me to do things that are impossible. I can't do them. Why, he asked me to give money to the building fund. He knows good and well I'm on a tight budget. <laughs> he asked me to talk to somebody about salvation. He knows I can't do that. Folk, it's the old chorus, trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. I want to tell you, if he says cast the net, cast the net. If he says give, then you give. If he says speak, then you speak. Look at the results here. There's fish everywhere. 
I mean, they cast that net on the other side, and fish are everywhere. <laughs> well, they may not have been using the proper techniques. No, they were using the right techniques. Well, they probably had the wrong bait. No, they were using the right bait. Well, they probably wasn't in the right part of the water. No, they were in the right part of the water. You see, the moment that they obeyed God, I think God got on the phone. Breaker, breaker, one nine. Looking for flipper. Looking for Nemo. For Willie and all the gang. And I tell you what I want you to do. They're going to cast that net on the right side of this boat at this certain time. I want every one of y'all to swim to your death into that net. <laughs> huh? Isn't that what happened? I guarantee you that's what happened. You say, that's crazy. God's a supernatural God. He can do things you never thought he could do. All I know is they fished all night in that same spot and caught nothing. Now, folks, that boat can't be more than five or six foot wide. So you're telling me they're going to take the net and throw it on the other side, and suddenly all them fish were over there all along, but there wasn't none over here. Get real, man. Good grief. <laughs> or in the language that we're going to hear the next four years. Come on, man. Now, listen. Let me, let me wind this thing down. Do not, listen to me, do not mix up the favor of God with lucky. Don't do it. Don't mix up the favor of God with happenstance. Don't mix up the favor of God with, well, it was a coincidence. No, I'm telling you, if you'll be obedient to God this morning, he will put favor upon you. He'll bless you in ways you didn't know you could get blessed. The favor is when God puts his grace upon you because you've been obedient to him. I pray this morning that you love him. I love him. You say, preacher, what do you love him for? I love him for what he's done. The Bible says in Romans 5, 8, he commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died on a cross for us. I love him for that. He sent the Holy Spirit to convict me and to keep me back in the straight and narrow way. He said in John 6, 37, him, uh, uh, he that, uh, that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. He said in John 1, 12, as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. That's what he has done for me. But I also love him for what he's doing for me. You see, the Bible says if you'll confess your sins, God's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He's helping me to live in a hard world. This world's tough. This world's tough. I was reminded again, I've been praying for months, but I was reminded again this week as I laid in Baylor Hospital. I've always had another hand that was in my hand. Didn't happen this time. There are many of you who've lost loved ones, died by themselves. 
And yet, they're not really by themselves because the Holy Spirit of God is there with them. And he's taught me that. I, I don't think what we're doing is right. Listen, I don't, just me, myself, I don't want to get all the people mad at me in the medical profession, but when you can take an aide that you don't know where she was the night before and come in and deal with one of my family members and you tell me that I can't come in and deal with my family member, something wrong somewhere. Something wrong. But I'm telling you, even in the times when we don't have that physical hand there to say, I'm with you. And sometimes they don't even need to say anything. They just need to be there. But when they're not there, He's taught me his precious Holy Spirit is there. And he never leaves me nor forsakes me. I love him for what he has done. I love him for what he's doing right now. And I want to tell you, I love him for what he's going to do. He's promised me that he's going to prepare a place for me. And if he goes and prepares a place, he'll come again and receive me unto himself that where he is, I'll be also. He promises that in a twinkling of an eye, in a split second, the dead in Christ shall rise. Those of us who remain shall be caught up to meet him in the sky, and there shall we ever be with each other. And he closes that with this, comfort one another with these words. If you're one of those this morning, that's wandered away from the Father's house and you're walking in the far country, let me tell you what you need to know this morning. You've still got a friend in Jesus. He's not going to turn his back on you. He's ready to receive you. Be willing to confess your sins. Begin to allow him, follow him, and love him like you ought to. And by the way, just, just so that you know this, our Lord invented the GPS system. He's got a ping on you. He dropped a pin on you. You don't go anywhere that he don't know where you're at. You run all you want to. You hide all you want to. I want to tell you, he's there. And where we may be bitter about it, he stands with open arms and says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. Father, thank you this morning for the joy to be able to be in your house. I pray this morning, maybe there's some folk here that have never been saved. Lord, today, would this be their day of salvation? Would you speak to their heart? Would you convict them of their sin? Show them that, Lord, there's only one way to eternal life. That's through Jesus Christ. But Lord, mostly... We've spent most of this message dealing with Christians, with folks, Lord, who know that they're saved and yet they've, they've taken off in a different direction. They've said, I want to quit. God, I pray this morning you will help them to see you high and lifted up. And I pray this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit that they'll come back and say, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I want, I want you to restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. I want to be excited for Jesus again. 
I want to be ready to charge forward. I want to build a church that my kids and my grandkids are going to be thankful for in the days ahead. Lord, have your way is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.